minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Arab Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
זמן in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 on the FM dial. It's a JM in the AM Friday morning broadcast, believe it or not. Could you imagine it's already Friday? Hard to believe after the uh, short week. Russia Shana being in the early part of the week. And um, next week will also be somewhat of a, a different kind of week schedule-wise. Keep in mind that... Um, Keep in mind that uh, 
Monday, we are here between 6 and 9 a.m. Tuesday, Erev Yom Kippur, we are here between 6 and 9 a.m. Wednesday, there'll be no J.M. in the A.M. broadcast. It'll be the observance of Yom Kippur. Thursday, we are back. Those are always special days when we start exploring in earnest the Cholomoid activities the day after Yom Kippur. And, of course, Friday next week, that Shabbos between uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, uh, Erev that Shabbos, we will be here on Friday morning. So next week, it's just a Wednesday that's off, and then we'll start getting into the Sukkot schedule. It's Friday on this October 7th, the 5th of Tishrei, on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayelech. It's Erev Shabbos Shuva. Yom Kippur is five days away. Candlelighting at 6.07 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.07, your official candlelighting time. Um, Yaakov Shweki with eight Code just a moment ago. That's quite a song. Uh, before that, you heard um, Shmakolena with Pete Ohm. <clears throat> Opens up one of their classic LPs. Ben Shmavremo, Benny Freeman with Malani. Ah, ah, ah was done by the Yeshiva Boys, Aryeh Kunstler's Mizmar Shir, and of course Regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. 6.31, 29 minutes before 7 o'clock on this Friday. 59 degrees outside with 87% humidity. Winds are calm. Sunshine today with a high of 75. Then tonight, mostly cloudy, a low of 61. Tomorrow, showers, a high temperature of 71 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 78. We're at 59 degrees here in New Jersey City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Hurricane Matthew is certainly taking its toll. There are an estimated over half a million Jews in South Florida, and they, among uh, uh, as well as their neighbors, as the Jerusalem Post reports, are hanging hurricane shutters to shield windows from flying objects. They're staying home from work and from school as this um, as this uh, hurricane Matthew looks to become the first major hurricane with a direct hit on the U.S. in more than ten years. Has killed the hurricane has killed at least 339 people in Haiti on its destructive march through the Caribbean. Um, winds up to 130 miles an hour. The storm pounded the northwestern part of the Bahamas, en route to Florida's Atlantic coast. So, to our friends and neighbors, and to everybody who's in the Florida area, uh, we wish them the uh, the best of luck, to say the least. I know a lot of people have evacuated the area. I know we have listeners down in Florida who are no doubt finding some uh, solace and comfort in being part of this collective listening experience. We are thinking of you, our friends and neighbors and associates down there, and stay safe if at all possible during this trying time. Very difficult when these hurricanes start to bear down on areas and communities. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, have seen the aftermath. Many of you probably have actually been uh, have been in these hurricanes and have survived them, thank God. Uh, but many others, uh, including myself, have seen the aftermath of these hurricanes. And um, they are quite damaging and very scary. So again, our thoughts with everybody down in Florida as this continues to happen. 27 minutes before the hour, JM and the AM. Just over an hour from now, it's the weekly update. Malcolm Holmline will join us and we will discuss the uh, events of the week. Go through some of the... Uh, some of the different things that in this short week affect Israel and the Jewish world. So we'll do that coming up. Um, 
Rabbi Yudin has a uh, Shabbos Shuvah a sermon prepared for about 8.15 this morning, so we'll do that at that time. And then we'll turn things over at 9 o'clock to Naomi Nachman. Make sure you have our NSN app. I saw already this morning that people have been commenting on the app, actively participating. Someone asked us for the Moda'ani by Gavriel Tumbach. We'll try to get to that coming up. Um... Someone comments about showing the current playing track, and that's something that we are working on on the NSN app, and that we hope to uh, that we hope to um, uh, present very shortly an accurate account on the app of what is playing. And um, I thank those of you who are commenting. If you have the NSN app, you can comment on anything going on during the show, and we encourage you to do so. Eighth day is next. You're listening to JM in the AM.
טוב עולם קורא לי. עוד יום בחיים שלי
Shit, no. 
Vina Malkano, that's a Srili Tversky song we rediscovered just a couple of days back. Baruch Levine and Kum Hitalech, you heard Mordechai and David's Bird of Hope, that was by request. David Lowy's Together, Gavriel Tumbach, by request on our app with Mo Da'ani. JM and the AM, yes, we know that Mordechai Shapiro has a song from this week's parasha, we'll get to it later on. Please, God, Belina there. <laughs> Candle lighting at 6.07 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayelach. It's Erev Shabbos Shuvah with 59 degrees outside and sunshine and a high temperature of 75. Tomorrow, a high of 71. Yerushalayim is at 78 and we're at 59 degrees here in Jersey City. Waking up on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Thanks for tuning in. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard a listener sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Golly, it's all in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Malcolm Holmline will join us for the weekly update at 7.40 Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. 7.40 Eastern Time. Feel free to comment on the NSN app on any of that stuff. Any of that current event stuff. Um... Rabbi Yudin with uh, the Shabbos Shuvah sermon coming up at 8.15 this morning. 
And plenty more, of course, all day long on our stream at jmnam.org. Our Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix will go on all day long, all the way until candlelighting time. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from JMN. Galay Tzal, Kan Shani Birenboim, Ima Shakura Akshav. Khatan Pras Nobel Shalom Lishana Zohu Nesi Colombia, Juan Manuel Santos. The Norwegian Nobel Committee has decided to award the Nobel Peace Prize for 2016 to Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos for his resolute efforts to bring the country's more than 50-year-long civil war to an end. בוועדת הפרס נימקו את ההחלטה ואמרו כי סנטוס ראוי לו בשל מאמציו לסיים את מלחמת האזרחים העקובה מדם המתחוללת בקולומביה למעלה מחמישים שנה. כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי מזכירה שרק השבוע הכריעו שם במשאל עם נגד חתימה על הסכם השלום עם כוחות המורדים. סנטוס אמר כי הוא המום מהזכייה וכי היא תסייע לו בהשכנת השלום במדינה. באופוזיציה תוקפים את השר נפתלי בנט על דבריו אמש בכינוס של הציונות הדתית בירושלים. שם אמר כי יש למסור את הנפש עבור החלת הריבונות הישראלית ביהודה ושומרון. חברת הכנסת ציפי לבני אמרה שיש להילחם בחלומות הסיפוח של בנט. ראש האופוזיציה הרצוג הזהיר כי ההתבטאות של שר החינוך עלולה להביא למלחמת אחים. קריאתו של נפתלי בנט למסירת הנפש תוביל חלילה את ישראל לסיפה של מלחמת אחים, לחזרה לקווי 67, לאובדן הגושים, לחלוקת ירושלים ולבידוד בינלאומי, וזה לא יהיה הבית היהודי הראשון שקנאים כאלו יחריבו, לצערי. מוקדם יותר הבהיר בנט בטוויטר כי המונח מסירות נפש מתייחס למאמץ גדול למען מטרה מסוימת ולא להקרבת חיים. סופת ההוריקן מסיו מכה כעת בחופה המזרחי של ארצות הברית, כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי. מהירות הרוחות בפלורידה כעת נאמדת בכ-200 קילומטרים לשעה, כמו כן גשם רב יורד באזור כבר שעות כחלק מהשפעות הסערה. מאות אלפי בני אדם מנותקים מאספקת החשמל ומיליונים פונו מבתיהם על מנת לנסות למזער את נזקי ההוריקן. לפי שאלו דווח על הרוגים או פצועים מפגיעת הסערה בארצות הברית. צה"ל עצר הבוקר שני דייגים שחרגו מתחום השטח המותר לדייג מול חופי רצועת עזה. כתבנו אריאל זיגלר. סירת מנוע ועליה שני דייגים חרגה הבוקר מהשטח המותר לדייג מול חופי הרצועה ולא נענתה לקריאות הצבא לעצור. כוח של חיל הים ביצע לעבר הירי הרתעתי באוויר ומשהמשיך על הנוע בוצע ירי אל גוף הסירה ממנו לא היו נפגעים. שני הדייגים נעצרו על ידי הכוח והועברו לחקירת כוחות הביטחון. המשטרה עיכבה לחקירה אמש גבר כבן חמישים תושב הצפון בחשד לפגיעה בבעלי חיים. החשוד צילם והעלה לרשתות החברתיות סרטון, ובו הוא נראה קושר גור כלבים ומתעלל בו. גולשת שצפתה בסרטון דיווחה למשטרה שתפסה את הגבר בביתו ולקחה את גור הכלבים לטיפול וטרינרי. התחזית מעונן חלקית עד נאה עם ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות, מחר ללא שינוי. אלה החדשות שעורך מרון ששון, בצוות שילה פריד ושגיא גבאי. Oh, boy.
Oh, I'm so 
morning, JM and the AM. Words from this week's Parsha, as we pointed out earlier, that's Chizku Mordechai Shapiro here at JM and the AM. Avraham Alavim Freed with Itchani. It was great speaking with him yesterday as he gets ready for the big Thursday night concert in Israel. Cholamoid. Micha Gamerman with Salachti. Words from uh, the Yom Kippur liturgy. And of course, the great Chazan Yasela Rosenblatt, his Kol Nidre, or one of the versions of his Kol Nidre. If uh, a specific listener lets me know that he's listening um, before 9 a.m., I may get to the other version of his Kol Nidre. Yasela Rosenblatt. Candle lighting at 6.07. Erev Shabbos Shuvah. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayelach. Our thoughts with our friends, neighbors, and fellow Americans down in Florida and in that area of the country who are bracing for the big hurricane. Stay safe, everybody. Sunshine today here with a high temperature of 75. We're at 59 right now at 22 minutes after the hour. Malcolm Holmline will join us. Weekly update starts at 7.40 Eastern time here at JM in the AM. So get ready for that. And um, we'll examine the news of the day as it affects Israel and the Jewish world. Uh, Rabbi Yudin's uh, Shabbat Shuvah drasha, his uh, sermon for the uh, the, the uh, day of Erev Shabbat Shuvah, comes up at 8.15 this morning here at JM and the AM. We'll have that for you. And plenty more between now and 9 o'clock. Taking a look at our schedule all day long, you know that today is uh, Friday, which means Kedem's presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix is coming up, which is always a big treat. Always an amazing way to go into Shabbos and Shabbos Shuva. There is no better way to go into it. Uh, coming up at 9 o'clock, it's an encore of Table for Two. You'll have Naomi Nachman with Dvorah Paltiel from Lubicom, Levana Kirschenbaum from Women's Cook-Off, and Baruch Green from Lilac and Cream Cheesecakes. It's coming up between 9 and 10. And then, of course, the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. J.M. in the A.M. with the great Chazen, Leibola Waldman.
J.M. and the A.M., an amazing selection from Yanki Lemmer. That's Mim Komcha, of course, off of the CD entitled It Is Shabbos. Shlomo Katz with Cold O.D. You heard Habait, Mordechai Ben David, off of a Choma Minim High Holiday album. Mordechai Shapiro with Chizku, words from this week's Parsha on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at J.M. in the A.M. It's Erev Shabbos, Parsha's Vayelach, Erev Shabbos Shuva, with candlelighting at 6.07 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.07, your official candlelighting time as candlelighting gets earlier and earlier. Sunny today with a high of 75. We're at 59 right now with our friends and neighbors and associates and fellow citizens down in Florida in our hearts and minds as they are bracing for a uh, a difficult day with Hurricane Matthew. Hope everyone can stay safe. And to those listening down there, we are uh, having in our thoughts, that's for sure. J.M. and the A.M. on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Rabbi Yudin's uh, Shabbos Shuvah his sermon for the radio coming up at about 8.15 this morning here at J.M. and the A. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically promote our live stream of 24-hour programming. Everyone make sure to have the NSN app so that you can always hear J.M. and the A.M. every single weekday morning. And the uh, uh, Jewish World Review website gives you an opportunity over, uh, over the next few hours to print out thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world, which you'll find of interest. And you'll be able to read them over Shabbos or whenever. So check that out. Also, a big thank you to our friends at OnlySimplas.com who continue to utilize our content on a regular basis for their uh, news feed, which continues to uh, inform and inspire people around the world. Check out OnlySimplas.com, and we thank them. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us. For the weekly update here at JM in the AM, Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. The first weekly update of the year 5777. How do you like that? Sounds good. Someone says to me yesterday, um, and I thought of this because uh, I was just reading online about the secular anniversary, so to speak, of the start of the Yom Kippur War, which was yesterday. And... Um, Someone says to me, I say, well, I'm not really a Zionist. So I said to him in the course of conversation, if the state of Israel, God forbid, was abolished tomorrow or today, would you be upset? Would it affect you? Oh, I'd be devastated. So I, guess I, so I said, I guess you're a Zionist then. And it's a, and it's a good time of year to remember as we, especially certain age groups, might take it for granted more than others. Uh, there have been many, many challenges uh, over the last uh, seven decades, many challenges to Israel's existence. And as so many people, uh, and I believe you're going to be uh, one of them, heading in the month of Tishrei to the Holy Land and enjoying the incredible sights and sounds of being in Israel, a, a, something that our that most of our predecessors, most of our ancestors, not not only couldn't have done, but never would have dreamed that they could do. It's a good time to remember the sacrifice that so many have made to make sure that the Jewish people can get to this point. So excuse yeah. me for waxing poetic, but that's what I'm thinking of this time of year. Wax away. I think yeah. it's uh, very appropriate, and especially if you see the, you'll see headlines today. You'll see the, so the, some of the newspaper reporting yesterday, criticisms of Israel, um, and the the uh, the nature, the tenor of of those criticisms. You see the actions in the UN again of UNESCO looking now to to Kever Rachel and Marat to take away their Jewish names and traditional Judeo-Christian names even, and to to, as they did already in Jerusalem, uh, there are serious challenges. It has been a year of great accomplishment, I think, and we can look back and say that the, the 
know, Kaddish Baruch Hu, when he created the world, he stopped and said, Vayar Kitov. God didn't need to compliment himself. He didn't have to say that he did a good job. He did it to remind us that sometimes we have to step back, look at all that what we have accomplished, what we have achieved, and not let people put us down and say, you know, we lost in Iran, do you, you lost on this, or, or other things. The fact is that Israel is far less isolated today. There's no existential danger, per se, to Israel today. Its neighbors are reaching out to it quietly and publicly. African countries, Asian countries, China, India, Japan, in uh, incredible numbers. And the the opportunities, I think, are, are very great. Unfortunately, I think the Middle East will continue to rumble and the volcano will continue to erupt for a long time to come. Syria, you see, is, is, uh, it's almost impossible to even visualize a solution, even temporary one. And the one they had uh, fell apart right away. Yeah. Well, I, I do. I do have to uh, interject one thing as you discuss the uh, non-existence of danger to Israel's existential uh, uh, existence. Um, I, I think the only real danger might be from us, from within. Uh, that might be the only danger that we're facing right now. Right. Uh, I was talking about external threats, but right. you're making a good point <laughs> good that point. that traditionally is where the greatest dangers to Jewish interests, to Israel's interests, to our collective interests, yeah. come from sometimes loose lips and, and attacks and people not thinking about you know, what their words do and how they can be manipulated, and people who held positions of importance at one time and you know, all of a sudden remain experts, even though they, they may have a alternating, uh, alternative interests that they are representing or involved with. Yeah. And um, you know that there were there are so many remarkable stories aside from the discoveries that we discuss most weeks now as as incredible things are being uncovered and and our whole past uh, being re- reminding us constantly of our responsibilities to the future that they found a safer Torah in the building in a, a, city, a small town in Portugal that was there since the Inquisition. And a few years ago, somebody doing construction there found this and other documents. I mean, it's a 30-foot-long Sefer Torah uh, and in good condition. And some this man took it home, treated it with great respect, had experts look at it, and they determined that this was a, a, a Sefer Torah from the time of the Inquisition and hidden in a house that was actually right next door to a church in a, in a village called Kahilo, which was used by uh, conversos, Jewish converts. And uh, that church dates back to the 16th century. So you can see the connection. Uh, many Jews converted because they were uh, or forcibly converted by King um, Manuel I. And yeah, Jews who were Jews on the inside and non-Jews on the outside. And, you know, if caught... They were, of course, subjected to uh, prosecution and persecution by the uh, Inquisition courts, which functioned until 1770 in Portugal, from 1536 to 1770. It's over 200, almost 240 years. Uh, People don't realize the expanse. We think of 1492. We think of what happened in Spain. They then go to Portugal, and in some respects, they were even tougher in the implementation of it. And uh, I'll tell you an interesting side note, 
that the man who was uh, designated this week as the new Secretary General of the United Nations, the Prime Minister of Portugal, Guterres, told me that he introduced the legislation in the Parliament of, of Portugal to rescind the Inquisition laws. Mm-hmm. Only now, only recently. <laughs> and I think it's, you know, people don't know that those laws remained on the books for another 200 years after the courts uh, ostensibly stopped functioning. Yeah. What do you say, better late than never? Or, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, too a, little, lot, too a late. lot to be said about it. And, yeah. And, but, but, you know, it's interesting that, that there are places, and he told me of, of his own, the place where he came from, where many people identify as descendants of Moranos or Conversos, and um, uh, th- there is a, a movement underfoot. I'm not, it's not as widespread as you might think, but, but a large number of people, South America, Portugal, Spain, will find that they have Jewish DNA in their, uh, when, when they examine it, and that has been the case in South America in many places. Uh, that people who escaped from the Inquisition went to Mexico, went to Argentina, Brazil, other countries. I also have to say that if we're recognizing people, I, I, I just make, want to make sure we get this in, that the former Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, and the Archbishops weren't always known as great advocates of ours, but here you have uh, the former Archbishop, he's now called Lord Carey of Clifton, railed against a Methodist church in the place where he lived in, in, uh, in the London area about uh, having set up a checkpoint and depicting Israel in a really horrific way. And because of it, they had to put up another exhibition about Israel's justification for, for the security fences and stuff and the, the security needs and how what they're doing is consistent with their oblig- the Israel's obligation to its citizens, protecting them, etc. And he note- noted, he said, with the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe and the excuse of using anti-Israel uh, propaganda and, and charges to exacerbate it, that it was imperative that they, that they step down from this and that, that he was so highly and publicly critical uh, of this. And Methodist Church has generally been problematic here as well yeah. as there. Yeah, and you know, and it's the week that they marked this, we marked the 75th anniversary of the massacre at Babi Yar, where mm-hmm. 34,000 Jews were killed in 48 hours, I think, in 1941 by SS troops and local collaborators. It's uh, it's interesting to see or to note the resurgence of the kind of hatred and and fomenting of incitement for, uh, that we saw in those days and in earlier periods. Uh, back to the Inquisition and further. Oh, excellent point. A um, couple of things that happened this week um, that were prominent in the news. One of them was the vice presidential debate here in this country. And one of the things that keeps coming up is Israel's attitude toward the Iran deal, with each side trying to depict Israel as either more pro than people think or more against than people think. What do, what do you think of that whole discussion? And, and you know, to us, I would think that it's pretty clear what Israel's attitude has been. Is there this massive split in Israeli military personnel, especially administrative personnel, uh, in terms of whether the Iran deal was a good thing or not? No, there isn't. And, uh, and you're raising an important question, and it's a reminder again that 
wise people are careful with their words, that the generals should be careful, pol- political leaders have to be careful, that things they say can be taken out of context if you're not very careful to create the framework. And it, it doesn't mean that it's deliberate, and we know that the media distorts all the time, especially when it comes to Israel. But what they said was that the the deal did set back the nuclear pro- weapons program. Right didn't do away with it Delayed it didn't it. stop it it didn't and and there are many who have been very critical because uh, as we find out more and more and including this week finding out about more aspects of the secret deals and that they lifted the sanctions against the um, against the bank that uh, that had been sanctioned for its support of of the ballistic missile program and secretly on the same time when the deals were made to to, to give the $1.7 billion and to drop charges against 21 Iranian operatives, uh, several of whom were in jail, uh, and, and to, to release them. The, um, and, and Congress was told that if they approved the deal, the sanctions would remain until 2023, which is when the sanctions on, on um, missiles altogether is, is to be lifted. Uh, an all too short period in and of itself, but they were told that the ballistic missile sanctions would be maintained and and uh, more strengthened if the deal was allowed to go through. The SEPA bank sanctions uh, meant that the whole system designed to check Iran's ability to finance uh, nuclear capable missiles uh, was in, in, interrupted was or ended, and the Treasury described SEPA as the financial linchpin of Iran's missile pro- procurement program. And we had many discussions with people at Treasury about it, and they assured us over the years, and they did great efforts to um, to implement these sanctions, which were picked up by the Europeans and others. I don't know that any of our allies had been informed or were informed about these concessions, the JCPOA partners, uh, the permanent members of the Security Council. I was just going to mention you're including the UN in that, right? And and the uh, and and in fact, a member of the Iranian military outlined all the terms last February. He said that they got the money, the 21 operatives, the SEPA concession, and it it was described both in English and in in Persians. And when they went to the administration of those, they were given different explanations and sort of dismissed it. Well, now we're finding out about the natures and of all the deals, the concessions that were made to get the release of the hostages, to get the deal, whatever. These are are setting a bad, bad precedent and sending the wrong message. And Khamenei's response this week, not to this specific charge, but overall, he he declared a determination that only fear of Iran's raw power. Uh, will uh, instill fear in the hearts of right. its enemies and said there are some foolish people who seek a dialogue with the United States. It's not going to happen. He, of course, has various uh, pseudonyms for the U.S. that are, are very um, negative. All right, so, so I've got to be careful how I say this, but essentially, back to the original question, then one of the vice presidential nominees this week mischaracterized Israel's attitude toward the Iran deal. Would that be the right way to put it? Yes, I think that that. I don't want to be too correct. harsh because you wouldn't <laughs> you you well, wouldn't agree you know, if I was too harsh. Semantics and in debates, people say things, but right. but the 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 point is a very important one because to 
say that the Iran the, the the deal ended the nuclear program. It postponed the nuclear program, and the fact that they can do more centrifuges, that they'll have advanced their missile delivery system, they will advance their technology in the interim means when they, the sanctions are lifted, complete sanctions are lifted or limitations. Um, and again, there are plenty of things that we don't know about what they're doing, but that that they will be able to enrich much faster and get to a nuclear weapon much faster in eight years or nine years in in a lifetime of of all these affairs is is a blink of the eye. Yeah. It, it is not a significant amount of time, uh, and Iran in the meantime is not sitting on its hands. We know and their activities and expanding their uh, instigation of terrorism around the world and especially in the region. They're more in support for Hezbollah, uh, more for Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza and other groups that uh, they want the more extreme, the more. They will support them. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Make sure you have the app and make sure you have all of the platforms or any of the platforms that, are, uh, that apply to you. Um, at, at hands so that uh, when we make our big transition at the beginning of December, you are completely prepared for that. We'll speak more about that once the holiday season draws to a close. Uh, the election cycle, according to the New York Times writers, the election cycle here in the United States has offered the Kremlin a unique opportunity. Russia is using the waning days of the Obama administration to strengthen al-Assad's hold on power, that's in Syria, of course, expand the territory he controls in Syria, and constrain the options of the next American president in responding to the civil war, according to a number of American officials and Russian analysts. Do you think this is bad timing, that if we were not in the midst of uh, one month away from Election Day, uh, Russia would be handling things differently? I don't think necessarily that the things would be much different. I think that they're taking advantage of what they perceive to be a Western withdrawal from the region is certainly perceived by the leaders in the in the area. And during the UN week, uh, ten days ago or so, uh, we heard it repeatedly. African leaders, uh, Middle East leaders, Arabs, Muslims, others, Central Asians, uh, bewailed and bemoaned the fact that the West is absent and uh, Putin steps into this breach. They had re- they, they reached some sort of an accord supposedly on 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 Syria, but it was I don't think it was ever going to work and the the uh, it, it collapsed uh, very quickly so the idea that uh, because he thinks america is preoccupied that doesn't stop presidents from acting and in fact i'm more concerned about what may happen after the election until the end of the year right. by the administration and we see the the language that has been used uh, over the last couple of days which may I many people interpret as setting the stage i don't think a decision has been made yet but setting the stage for a possible UN resolution on settlements or a failure to, or lack of a veto against such a resolution, uh, or maybe even introducing it or something else of that kind, which would I think be obviously very detrimental. It's a you know the controversy this week is a serious one, and and um, it is not because of the election or no election. Yeah. Uh, but you make you make such an interesting point there. Everyone's focused on the advantage that Putin might be taking now before the election. You're raising how concerned people should be about what happens right after the election. Uh, That's right. Something yeah. to consider, I guess. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the Obama administration and the State Department are very upset. The State Department has strongly condemned the move where Israel has approved plans to create a brand new Jewish settlement on the West Bank. Uh, the new one uh, is designed to house settlers from a nearby illegal outpost, Amona, which an Israeli court has ordered demolished. The timing of the approval especially infuriated the White House because it came after Obama met with Prime Minister Netanyahu at the United Nations. Uh, Mr. Netanyahu, they said, gave the president no advance warning, even though Mr. Obama expressed deep concerns about Israel's continuing settlement construction. I'm reading from the New York Times article. All right, so first of all, is it a violation? I mean, is it a violation or not? Tell us that first and foremost. It's a, certainly a violation. It appears to be a violation of what they thought was an understanding that no announcements would be made at this period, and the president was particularly sensitive about it because he was there, he came for the Paris funeral, could have leaked then, that which would have been, put the Biden leak into, yeah. you know, it would have made it the min- <laughs> in the minor leak. <laughs> it would have made it, made it made it like a drip. <laughs> but, and also, I mean, there are certain facts first. One, the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the government of Israel, put out statements saying, this is not a new settlement, this is within the, the boundaries of Shiloh, that it is a new area that is being settled, that is that is true. And the United States doesn't want to see any construction in these areas, which they say impedes, you know, potential Palestinian state. And here you have a, a Supreme Court order about, you know, providing alternative housing, I guess, for Amona and the destruction of it. Uh, and they decided to, to, to do this. And you know, the way things work in Israel, it well could have been leaked by some mm-hmm. kid or somebody, you know, bureaucrat, as has happened with the, um, with the Biden experience. Right. And, and right now, I think these are tensions we don't need when, when there are really such serious issues. And you saw how the administration raised the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding on the Military Aid, which yep. I think is an unfortunate thing to do. I think it's a separate issue and should be kept separate. But, you know, everything gets linked now, and there's increasing pressure coming from Europeans and others all along about doing something, and it's certainly about saying something and putting down markers. And, you know, the, the president indicated this when we met a year ago, that, uh, that I think he, he said he knew it wasn't going to get a Palestinian state, but would but would create the predicates, and I think that's what we're seeing happening. I wonder how the next administration will deal with the quote-unquote violations when Israel decides to announce new building. I'm, try- I'm trying to think back to the Bush administration. They-, they also reacted in a negative fashion, just not as harshly, correct? They did, and you know they get reaction from some of the Arab countries who by and large don't care about these issues, but because they get reaction from the street because they want to prove their bona fides. They, you know, all criticize Israel for it, and it, it, it makes it uh, tougher in, in, in their relationships in the region, there's no doubt. But uh, the the, um, the administrations have all along sustained uh, similar positions yeah. about settlements, but the language, I think, lately has been particularly harsh, uh, although the president, in his speech, uh, while he made some uh, frequent references to the uh, Palestinians and the, their issues, he also gave a, quite a, a Zionist endorsement, too, and talked about me in Israel. And then when the press release comes out, it, it came out from Jerusalem, Israel, and they put out another press release where Israel then is crossed off. Right. But you have it there 
with a line through it, which is just, I mean, had they just put it out without saying where it wasn't just, that was the correction that they felt necessary, but to send it out with a line through Israel is really, you know, a a step way too far. And... I, I, has aroused a lot of uh, a lot of concern, a lot of reactions. Uh, I, again, I think it was just done by somebody in the in uh, some cog in in the machine. I don't think that that came from the top, but I do think that the comments that we're hearing and the language of, of some of the statements from state and White House spokesmen are coming with the president or or top officials at least endorsement. They are very angry. They. Uh, um, you know, they they feel that this was uh, coming right after the visit, and they say that there was some understanding that it would be that everybody would be quiet until after the Yom Tovim, at least, to let things settle down and see what, what uh, could be done. <laughs> Even in international relationships, it's Achari Achagim. Huh? <laughs> Everything is Achari Achagim. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely um, right. The but, uh, uh, and we're seeing other developments which should be getting people's attention and doesn't. You know the the ISIS losing territory means, and and the Sunnis are very concerned about the Sunni states because now that removes the block of Iran, giving it contiguity to its allies in Persia, in them, Syria and and Lebanon. So Persia, Iran gets past ISIS, which is now the block, and hooks up, and you have a direct land corridor from Tehran to Beirut. And the the um, so ISIS was actually doing the free world a favor by being there in, in that sense that they were uh, blocking. That's unbelievable. Uh, that and and you don't see much of it. You know that Iraq expelled the Saudi ambassador last week because he criticized the Shiite militias and their behavior, and I, I did not see uh, mention of it. And even now, the Russians putting the S three hundred air defense system at their naval base in Tartus. And, you know, they have the S-400, the most advanced system they have, and it's a very deadly system, in place at Latakia Air Base. So the question is, what are they afraid of? Who, who else is going to bomb? They're the ones controlling the air and, and the bombing raids. The United States, others are, are involved, but nobody's going after their interests or one is, will, will be bombing them. So the question is, why do they put in such the most sophisticated systems <coughs> into Syria? Now, it's perhaps to show the world and try to sell more of them, but it's a, it's a development that I think has to be examined very carefully uh, about what, what, this, uh, what this really means. And we've seen 3,000 Iranian-backed uh, Shiite militias moving into the Aleppo area with heavy air cover bombardment by the Russians and, and the Syrian army. Well, um, American ground forces continue to make progress in Iraq against uh, ISIS, correct? They do. So I, I, I would the Iraqis backed by American troops. Right. So I would think. I would think that the Russia's, you know, just trying to flex its muscles to make sure people realize they're still in the area. They, they don't have to. They, I think he has cleverly maneuvered it with with a far less involvement than us, and having made ten times what he's spent in new arms sales. And, and again, he does not have a lot of money. He's sitting on a very poor economy, a very small economy, without oil the size of I think of Holland. And uh, I think that this is this is a, a shrewd leader who is manipulating the situation. And then, as I think I mentioned, the the picture of him with Rouhani of Iran and President Aliyev 
announcing a building of a railroad from the center of Russia through Azerbaijan, uh, uh, which is mm. very much afraid of Iran and and of the Russia, but as the, the president himself said, he was being driven into the arms of of, of Putin because the American uh, backed broadcasts attack him, and he said America attacks him all the time, and he is trying to be pro West and and introducing reforms in a in a slow way, um, and the so now this is an age old dream of the czars to have a warm water port and you would have a railroad going through the three countries. It's just one further development. And, and while it may not seem significant to me, it's an extremely significant uh, shift. But more importantly, shows you the progress Russia is making, breaking out and into the region, taking advantage of the vacuum. And I heard it from African leaders. We heard it from Arab leaders all the time. You know, I don't know if uh, either presidential candidate could address this issue the way you just did, frankly. I don't know if they're as... Uh, as well, they should be on time, because this is, this is something that will have very long-term consequences oh no question about that i just don't know how educated they are on it um second debate is coming up soon so you know it's starting to get serious and assume we actually have to go to the polls and elect one of these people so and i, I assume that foreign policy will play a bigger role in at least in this or the next debate but every time we've said that over the last year it never seems to seep into the conversation <laughs> just never it never well, it never becomes the high profile item they get into debates over you know, uh, who's responsible for certain things that happen. Yeah. To assess what's really going on. Right. And, I mean, what we talked about now are just a few of, of the developments in the last 48 hours, 72 hours, that, um, uh, you know, Israel has been moving and in, in c- capturing Hezbollah support groups inside Israel. We see that they're trying to disrupt in in uh, within Israel and to and in the in the territories against the PA against Israel, the the, um, uh, the, the these attacks. There was a, a group arrested in East Jerusalem uh, this week as well. So there are many things. There are, are are all sorts of levels that are moving at the same time, and it, I, as you know, I don't discuss the presidential races because. Right. It has obscured and obfuscated. It's a very important who gets elected as president. I think it's equally important who gets elected to Congress. But the issues are not being discussed. People are not focused on them and not, you know, taking seriously enough these developments because we're going to look back then after the election's over and ask, how did all of this happen? Yeah. Uh, last Friday, uh, Mahmoud Abbas was in Jerusalem for the Paris funeral. Uh, we know that he had heart surgery this week. Is it possible that that has happened in Jerusalem as well? I don't know, actually, whether... Uh, I know he was sick, and he, I, I saw him at the funeral. Um, he, he, I was sitting on the other side. Uh, and uh, so he came under very heavy criticism from the Arab world and within the Palestinian Authority itself, but really heavy criticism for attending it and for shaking hands with uh, Netanyahu, and it was pictured, and for saying some nice things about uh, about uh, Shimon Peres. If I can tell you one thing, though, that that because the media got it, and not for me, um, about my discussion with Prince Charles, which was shown on television when he came in, and I, I was talking to him, and he had his blue yarmulke with the royal crest on it, which was very interesting. Uh, and he was very affable, and I started telling him about 
the Harazetum, about the temp, the um, uh, Mount of Olives and the, the graveyard there and its significance and the progress that has been made by the International Committee. And because his grandmother is buried there. Wow. His father's mother is buried there in, in a church courtyard, uh, cemetery on the Mount of Olives. Under British rule at that time, I assume. And, and she, right. And they're not allowed to visit because it's East Jerusalem, so they don't go there. Right. And he said, and I described the changes, and he asked if it was safe, and I told him the cameras, the police, etc. And he turned to his aide and he said, I want to go and see that wonderful place. He said, can I see it from here? I said to him, no, you can't see it from here, but it's not that far away. And to make a long story short, he went there, and he visited the grave, and he brought flowers, and he, and he spoke about it uh, very effusively. And uh, I'm sure it gave a lot of guys... In the, in the British Foreign Service, uh, a good adjective for, for, <laughs> <laughs> for the day, which is worth it. But I, I want to say this Prince Alice uh, um, was also uh, given an award by Yad Vashem as one of the righteous Gentiles, uh, because during the Holocaust, she saved the Cohen family, who were acquaintances uh, of uh, her family. Uh, she lived in Athens, um, and... Um, uh, Prince Alice of, of Battenberg, as she's known, um, uh, took this family in. It was a woman, a Jewish woman, and two of her children. And they stayed there for 13 months in her Athens palace until the, the Nazis uh, withdrew in October of 1944. Unbelievable. And so she was recognized for that. Pretty remarkable. Now we know why he visited his uh, grandmother's grave. Now you know the inside story. Yeah, now we know the, the rest, rest of, the of the story, as the great <laughs> Paul Harvey would say. And a reminder that everybody can make a difference, right? One small gesture, Malcolm, and a very significant story emerges from it. And we know what the Lubinsky brothers and others who, who led this effort to getting the shaking up the Israeli political establishment. And I was privileged to, to be a partner with them in some of their, this effort to... to get the progress we have, and it is tremendous. I mean, thousands of people go there, and I hope that during Sukkot people will go. Uh, even government officials whose parents and grandparents were buried there never went. And now, thank God, people can go. We still have much more to do, and hopefully we can build a visitor center, other things that will enhance the area, make it even more safe. Uh, but it's a lot of progress uh, after decades of, of neglect. Yeah, no question about that. All right, finally, the flotilla. What could you tell us about this week's flotilla on its way to Gaza? The women's flotilla? Yeah. It's, again, a, it's a grandstand, and and it's even more ridiculous than the last time because Turkey reached an agreement with Israel whereby they're sending goods into Gaza. Israel continues to send 800 to 1,000 trucks a day into Gaza with, with goods. The, the, there is absolutely no justification for it, and as you know, the, the raid on uh, Mavi Mamara, despite the fact that Israel apologized for the loss of life, but the action itself was ruled to be completely le was legal. I mean, and Israel has the right to, to uh, set up an embargo because of the hostile nature and the, the terrorist entity, Gaza. Uh, and so it, it is a PR stunt. It's one of many. It's what the whole BDS uh, movement is about which is not to benefit the Palestinians. It doesn't help any Palestinian. It uh, doesn't improve the situation in the region. 
It's a provocative act. It's meant to, to, to demonize Israel and diminish Israel and ultimately to destroy Israel. Yeah. That's why they carry out these campaigns to, to take away the, the names of the traditional historic names of, of our holy places because everything cuts our connection. Everything denigrates the nature of a Jewish state and and the rights of others, by the way, including Christians, and the and as they are doing it in their own countries, denying the rights of of um, minority groups and, and and religions. That that this to be taken much more seriously for for what it really is, and the BDS movement that we've seen already in, on campuses in the United States being active and. I'm afraid we'll move towards more violence because they're getting frustrated at their inability to impact economically, that they will turn to, to much more extreme activities. And university administrations, communities, everyone has to make sure there's no Jewish student and no pro-Israel student that should feel intimidated from speaking out, that on campuses here in New York City, we're seeing checkpoints set up and other terrible activities and pro-Israel speakers being shouted down. We have to make sure this stops. It cannot be tolerated. And it just, it's a cancer that metastasizes more and more and we will find ourselves facing challenges like those in Europe. Hey, we're off to a great start. Great weekly update. Um, the uh, A great start for the brand new year. Uh, next week, Malcolm God is, is God willing in Israel for the Shabbos between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and uh, hopefully, if his schedule works out regarding his Friday afternoon meetings, he will join us regular time for the weekly update. Gemara Chasimatova, happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to you, Mr. Honline. To you, Mr. Siegel, and to all the listeners, and in your new launch will be very successful, God willing, and reach more and more people with the important uh, service that you provide throughout the week but especially on Friday morning. <laughs> I appreciate that very, very much. <laughs> right right back you at you. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayelach with candle lighting time at 6.07 on this Erev Shabbos Shuva Friday morning at JM in the AM, this time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Wow. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayelech. And according to the Chinuch, you have in this week's Parsha the last two mitzvos of the Torah. The 612th mitzvah is that of Hakel. Namely, that once in seven years, the entire Jewish nation is to gather in and at the Beis HaMikdash, and there the King of Israel is to read the Torah to the entire assemblage of Israel. Just try to picture this scene, which in Yitzhak Hashem we will have once again in the future. Now, what might be the reason for this? So the Chinuch, in explaining this mitzvah, says beautifully that the Shor Sheha mitzvah, the root of this mitzvah is because since the essence and the core of the Jewish people is the Torah, 
And this is what distinguishes us from all other people, as well as this is what earns us, please God, our share in Olam Haba, the world to come. Therefore, in order to impress upon the nation the primacy of Torah, God in His infinite wisdom, and according to the way the Rambam explains this mitzvah, is that it's a kind of reenactment of Sinai. That just as at Sinai, all Israel was together for the one purpose of accepting the Torah, here too, once in seven years, the entire nation gathers together for the purpose of accepting again and realizing the importance and centrality of Torah within the communal and personal life of the Jewish people. And this incredible gathering makes a Roshem, makes an impression on the entire assemblage, men, women, children that are there and are all part of this mitzvah. Finally, the last mitzvah, the 613th. So it's interesting. Parshas Vayelech, which has the distinction of being the shortest parasha in the Torah, but 30 psukim, according to the Chinuch, contains the last two mitzvahs, and the final mitzvah is to write a Sefer Torah. That each and every Jew should have a Torah, so he has the opportunity to study Torah, and even though one might have inherited a Sefer Torah from his forefathers, there's still an obligation on each individual to write a Sefer Torah, so that you, your children have, you can lend it out to others, and understandably, the Rush understands this mitzvah, that it's incumbent upon each and every Jew to have a Jewish library. And especially today, we live in a time that there is such a great proliferation of svarim on every level. The incredible contribution of the art scroll, Talmud, whereby that which had been a relatively closed book because of the language and because of the style of Talmud, that unless one was learned in it, they really could not understand it. And now, with effort, one can become nourished, not just acquainted, but excited with Torah, this is a very special time in which we live in. And it's not just in terms of Talmud, it's in terms of Jewish law, in Jewish philosophy. The last mitzvah is that the Jew is to be that Talmud Chacham, he is to be that perennial student, and therefore they need a Jewish library. Interestingly, according to the Ramban, the last mitzvah 
will come on the following Shabbos, namely when we read Parshas Ha'azinu after Yom Kippur, before Sukkos, and there we have the mitzvah according to the Ramban of Birkas HaTorah. Interestingly, that these last two mitzvos of the Torah, according to the Chinuch, Hakel, and writing a Sefer Torah, both have the centrality of Torah. So we find ourselves this Shabbos on Shabbos Shuva, so-called because we are in the ten days of Tshuva, where the primary mitzvah of these days is for us to return and to get closer and to get and restore that very special relationship between ourselves and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as well as the Haftorah, which comes from the first part from the book of Hosea, whereby the Navi Hosea calls and literally demands of the Jewish people, Shuva Yisrael, Adashem Elokecha, return Israel literally to Hashem, your God. So I'd like to talk just a little bit, as is one to do on this Shabbos, about the mitzvah of tshuva. And let's begin with a very interesting question of the Meshachachma, that if we understand the mitzvah of tshuva to be that when and if a person has sinned, so they are to repent and come back to Hashem, wait a second, he asks very poignantly in his commentary, on this week's parsha of Vayelech, in chapter 31, Pasuk 17, and he asks very sharply, wait a minute, a Jew is obligated to keep mitzvot because there are 365 restrictions, negative commandments, and 248 positive commandments. If a Jew neglected to do any one of these mitzvos, positive or negative, the mitzvah itself calls to the Jew that after he or she has violated them, that they are to correct themselves and do the mitzvah. What is the purpose of the mitzvah of tshuva as an independent mitzvah? And therefore, he suggests that the two elements of the mitzvah of tshuva are one, vidui bapeh, that the individual literally confess his sin, as we do over the Yom Kippur experience ten times with the Oshamnu and the Alchet, but the vidui, the actual confession. And secondly, that the Jew is to ask for Bakoshas Kapora. He's to ask for atonement from Hashem. Not enough for a person to um, correct his or her way, but there needs to be this begging of forgiveness, as we shall see, because of what has happened to the individual. So, I'd like to basically look at the mitzvah of tshuva and it is clear 
that the Rambam puts the focus on vidui, on the confession. Now, is that the primary mitzvah? After all, the Rambam, in his introduction to the Hilchos Tshuva, writes that there is one mitzvah, and sheyosh v'achotei mecheto l'fnei Hashem, that the person shall return, shall literally restore, as we shall see, and the Yisvada, and he shall confess. So, Rav Salavichik, Zichrona Levracha, in his explanation of why, according to the Rambam, the focus might be on confession, the Vidui, explained it that there are, often time, two aspects to a mitzvah. There is the Kiyuma mitzvah, there is the result, the emotional aspect of the mitzvah as to what the mitzvah is supposed to accomplish, such as, for example, in the mitzvah of Shema, there is Kabolas o Malchus Shamayim, that the Jew accepts upon themselves literally the yoke of his kingdom, his sovereignty. That is the Kiyama mitzvah, but the Ma'aseh mitzvah is in the the act of the mitzvah is in the recitation of the Shema. And the Rambam, more often than not, will focus on defining the mitzvah as the Ma'aseh mitzvah through the action. So here too, the mitzvah is that of tshuva. The mitzvah is for the Jew to repent. But the Ma'aseh mitzvah within the mitzvah itself, the act of the mitzvah is the vidui, and hence the Rambam stresses the element of vidui. But that's not necessarily to say that vidui is the mitzvah and not the mitzvah of tshuva, as perhaps indeed the Minchas Chinuch wants to suggest. Now, Interestingly, there is a basic difference between the Rambam in the beginning of Hilchos Tshuva, where the Rambam speaks of Tshuva from particular sins, and then you'll take a look in chapter 7 of Hilchos Tshuva, where the Rambam writes that Tshuva is not only for specific actions that a person does, but that shuva also applies literally to the character of the individual, to the personality of the individual. And therefore, he says that the shuva is not simply on one's actions, but on one's deos, on his perspective on life. And therefore, in chapter 7, he speaks about a different type of tshuva, namely the personality of the Jew. And this, I believe, is that which we need to understand, that tshuva, as Rav Salvechik explains so beautifully, 
And I would so strongly recommend those who understand and can read the Hebrew should find in Al Hatshuva, in this very first Shear, the Rub discusses two parts of Tshuva that of the Kapara, the atonement, and the Tara, the purification of Tshuva. And if one is not comfortable in the Hebrew, one should get their hands on Pinchas Peli's on repentance, whereby he writes up various drushos of the love, including his first one, namely the um, discussion that the love has on the aspect of two parts of tshuva, the acquittal, kapara, and tara, purification. After all, what does the Torah say regarding Yom Kippur? On this day, we attain kapora. Kapora is a person has done something wrong. As a result, he owes. As a result of doing something wrong, there is, as we know, schar v'onesh. There is reward and punishment. And so he deserves to be punished for his action. Yom Kippur has this capacity to remove the punishment, or as we did the apple in the honey on the nights of Rosh Hashanah, for the purpose of saying to Hashem, please, if there has to be some exacting of punishment, let it be done in a softer, as opposed to a more harsh manner. But that is only for half of the damage, and that is for the physical act that was done, that the person committed the sin. But in addition, the sin that a person does tarnishes his soul, tarnishes his personality. And therefore, on this day, on Yom Kippur, we attain and achieve kapora, but that's not where it stops. Not only is it lechaper aleichem, it's letaher eschem, that Yom Kippur has the ability to cleanse the personality of the Jew. The soul is literally purified on Yom Kippur. The opportunity that the individual has. And that's why Rabbi Akiva, at the, in the Mishnah, at the end of Yuma, when he says, Ashrechem Yisrael, look how fortunate are the Jewish people. Before whom are you purified? And who purifies you? And then he goes on to use the parable. Just as the mikvah is metahir, purifies the one who is impure, so too does Hashem purify us. Now let's understand something. Once again, kapara is for a specific act. Tara is for the tarnished of the personality. If a person, let's say, stole from ten people, 
and he paid back one person. So you can't have kapora, you can't have atonement for one sin, for one-tenth. One of the ten sins that he violated, he repaired. The other nine, not yet. That we can understand as a separate, independent aspect. When it comes to purity of the soul, there, just as the mikvah, you can't put your foot in the mikvah and say, my foot is now tahor. And then put your arm in the mikvah and say, my arm is now pure. But rather, you need the entire body. So too, when it comes to tahara, when it comes to the purification of the individual, there you need the person to accept upon him or herself the complete package. And that's why the Mishnah precedes the teaching of Rabbi Akiva with the very important concept that Lefnei Hashem Titaru from all your sins, even sins, not only man to God, a person who might have eaten that which was non-kosher, a person who might have been involved in forbidden, illicit relationships. That is man to God. But those sins, man to man as well, require Yom Kippur. And therefore the Mishnah teaches that If one does not go and try to rectify wrongdoings that he has done to his friend, and he does not rectify them before Yom Kippur, so according to the Mishnah, there's a fallacy in the entire process of Yom Kippur. Why? Because, as we are pointing out, it's not just a day of... Kapara, it's a day of Tara, and in order for the Tara to work, you need the cleansing of the total personality, because each sin that we do, sin man to man, tarnishes our soul, and that soul requires the purification of the day of Yom Kippur, which can only come by first man doing what he does to correct it, in this case here, to ask forgiveness from his friend, which is why the Shulchan Aruch says that one should and is obligated to ask for mechila, to ask for forgiveness from his friend. But I urge, it's not to be done in a simple, pro forma way. me. And it's not to be done with your best friend exclusively. Of course your best friend is going to forgive you for that which you have done. But you know it's the person in the synagogue with whom you don't say good Shabbos to. And not because I can't say good Shabbos to everybody, because there's just no time. There's so many people, thank God, in your shul. No, it's the one person I avoid, because of what he or she did to me, or what I did to them. Either way, it's got to be repaired. And this is so important. It's so important between those individuals in order for the Jewish people to get its collective kapara and it's so important for the community as a whole and therefore yes, 
But look at the positive. Look at the great opportunity that we have on Yom Kippur, the Fnei Hashem Titoru, which means that before we come to God, on Erev Yom Kippur, Tuesday of next week, we say vidui. We come as clean as possible. Before we come to God, we've gone to the mikvah. We try to make ourselves as ready as possible. But let's understand what a privilege Yom Kippur is. It's a day of tshuva. It's a day that He welcomes and pines for us to come back. We have to have that same kind of pining to get close to Hashem. How ashrenu, matov chalkenu, how privileged we are that we have Yom Kippur, enabling us to restore that very special, close relationship that each and every one of us had prior to our doing sins, prior to our wrongdoing. And thank God, through Yom Kippur, can restore and not only provide kapara, but tahara. Wishing everyone a good Shabbos and the strong message that we take advantage of this very special time in which we are Shabbos Shuva to truly Shavta Ad Hashem Elokecha to bring each and every one of us closer to Hashem. Shabbat Shalom to all.
The great cantor Yesela Rosenblatt, they call that his second version of Kol Nidre here at JM in the AM. Dedicating that, of course, to uh, the great Yochi Herzog and the Herzog family. Fridays are extra special for us because the Nachum Single Network presents the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. And uh, today, got to make sure to have at least uh, one selection from uh, the great cantor Yesela Rosenblatt. In there. Candle lighting at 6.07 on this Erev Shabbos Shuvah. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayelech. I thank you all for tuning in from around the world and listening in to JM and the AM as we get closer and closer to Yom Kippur, which is Tuesday night. Wishing everybody a wonderful and inspiring Shabbos Shuvah. Reminder, on Sunday we have live programming. Matis Weingast is a live JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmtheam.org. Make sure to be tuned in on Sunday morning to the Nachum Siegel Network. Mordechai Ben David off of the High Holiday album at JM in the AM.
And there you have it, uh, Mordechai Ben David, off of the uh, High Holiday album here at JMN. We're here each day next week, except Wednesday. Wednesday is Yom Kippur, and we'll observe Yom Kippur with everybody out there and not be on the air with JMN on Wednesday morning. Otherwise, we speak to you starting Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Time to say good Shabbos. It's Journeys at JMN.
brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live in the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Naomi Nachman is next. Encore presentation of Table for Two coming up between 9 and 10 Eastern Time. And then, of course, the Kedem presentation of our Erev Shabbos music mix all the way until candlelighting time. No better way to prepare for your Erev Shabbos, for your Shabbos, than with uh, our Erev Shabbos music mix presented by Kedem. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Siegel with Avrami right after Shabbos on our stream at jmnam.org. And, of course, Matis Sunday morning with JM Sunday. I am back here Monday morning. Uh, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.